0: Good morning. Man, I'm glad you guys are here. You're in the room, and we're also live with live stream. Let me set my timer so we're ready to rock and roll. Boom. Good morning. We're going to be studying through today, particularly uh, a preparation for Matthew chapter 23. And in order to do that, we're going to look specifically at 1st Peter chapter 4 verse 12 to 19. As you know, we're studying through the indicators of a New Testament church. What is a church and what does the Bible teach are the indicators? of a New Testament church one of those is evangelism so when we got to evangelism we hit the pause button because we recognize we want to reach our city we recognize that we want to understand our city and how we can speak the good news of the reign and salvation of Jesus to our town and so we are studying evangelism and how we can reach our city but in order to do that we need to know us We need to know our city and we need to understand what God is doing in us, around us, through us for the advancement of Jesus' salvation and his reign. During this particular period in history, I'm trying my very best, and all of us are trying our very best to follow the breadcrumbs of grace, to know the Lord more, to hear His voice more clearly, and to obey Him more quickly, and have a growing and increasing affection for Him. And so I want to be clear, I do not want us to waste this pandemic So I've been asking this question from the beginning, and the videos I posted for you, the blogs I'm writing for you, and a question I want to ask us this morning to help us get ready to make sense of Matthew 23, which will be a challenge for us. So so I want to ramp us up to Jesus' words. Here's the question What is the Lord Jesus saying to you? What's the Lord Jesus saying to me? What's he saying to us? He is not silent. His word is clear, the Holy Spirit is present, and He is speaking. The question is, do we have ears to hear? But it comes down to this. It is into this mashup of theological and cultural Judaism that Jesus takes on flesh to invade the soon-to-fall dark kingdom with His eternal kingdom. And it is at the end of his earthly ministry of pounding away at the kingdom of darkness that Jesus shouts Matthew 23 to the crowd so that they might hear his love for them. And listen, Three Rivers Church, because there's absolutely nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new in human history. We do not create anything new. Life, teachings, and narratives just simply recycle And therefore, because there's nothing new under the sun, Jesus' teaching in Matthew 23 applies perfectly and appropriately to us today into a cultural and theological mashup of views in which we need to hear clearly the voice of the Lord. So I want to introduce Matthew 23 by asking the question we started with this morning. Remember it? What is Jesus saying to you? What is Jesus saying to me? What is Jesus saying to us collectively as a fellowship? And I want to answer it from Scripture in prayerful hope that the Holy Spirit would give us ears to hear Matthew 23 as a prophetic word to cultural or nominal Christianity as we make it our aim. Remember, our aim is to effectively preach the good news of the kingdom and salvation of Jesus to our city. And so I want us to hear that question and answer it so that we can be prepared to exit nominal cultural Christianity and effectively bear witness to the good news of Jesus' salvation and his reign. So if you've got a Bible, check out with me 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 19. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. I'm going to read it and you can hear it and we'll make some sense out of it together. Here's what Peter says to these scattered Christians who have been persecuted and moved all over the empire. And he's writing this letter to them as they are scattered. And here's what he says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Isn't that awesome? What do we hear? Like, I got a new car. I'm blessed. Had a good weekend. I'm blessed. We rarely hear, man, my life's falling apart. I'm blessed, right? And he's saying here, if things are not going good and you're insulted for the name of Christ, we're blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's a sermon in and of itself, but I will digress. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Interesting. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Verse 17 is key for us, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Listen very carefully. Let's not be fooled this morning. During the middle of this difficult time in history for us, God may likely not be dealing with our unreached culture first right now in the middle of this chaos as much as he is dealing with a nominal cultural Christianity that has abjectly failed to be the salt and light of a robust expression of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. Peter makes that abundantly clear in this passage that God's work begins with us. So what do we see in this passage? I want to make six quick observations. Then we're going to make some application. And then we're going to talk about what we're going to do with it this morning. Number one, fiery trials, literally testing. He makes a connection in verse 12. The trials particularly, verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials, when it comes upon you to test you fiery and testing go together the idea that Peter has in mind here is that a precious metal is refined of all the junk that's in it when it passes through heat to refine it to make it more pure so he says here these fiery trials this testing should not be a surprise to us as though difficulty is a strange thing we live in such a place that hardship is rare And when it does come, it surprises us in such a way that it usually sets us back. And Peter wants us to know here that these fiery trials that are for testing should not be a surprise for us. Why? Because we're going to read verse 17. God begins his refinement with his people. So this is why we ask the question what's he saying to you? Because if I belong to Jesus, what's he saying to me? If together we belong to the Lord, the question isn't what is he saying to them? The question is, what's he saying to us? In this chaotic time, if it's a surprise, we might be like the steward in Jesus' parables who fell asleep, and when the employer returns, he's absolutely shocked to see that the employer has returned because he's been sleeping on the job. Second thing I want you to see in this passage, we see in verse 12, is that this difficulty is supposed to test us in order to show us God. Notice, Carefully, verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This difficulty is supposed to show us more of God. The testing comes to put on display God. The intent for God, for us, is that we would see more of him. Who's the tester? Who's running human history? Who was in charge of and brought upon ultimately through the mediation of Satan, Job's testing? It was none other than the Lord himself. God has graciously in human history sent difficulty to his people that they may see more of his glory. Will we come out like Job? Or will we come out of this difficult time having been shown that we actually don't even know who he is? Job comes to the end of this testing in Job 42.5 and he exclaims, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye, has seen you the glorious end of Job's testing was that he had now seen and experienced in person the Lord of glory that awesome? You read Job and you see all of this difficulty and you see all of this trial and the bad counsel of his terrible friends who thought they knew God and didn't speak what is right of the Lord. But the one young buck on the side knew the Lord and he spoke rightly of God and God rebukes his terrible counseling friends and he says to Job, hey, stand there because I'm going to ask you some questions, Job. And Job comes to the end and said, i got to see the Lord, Right? So he reminds us here that this difficulty is to show us God. Number three, we are then, as we see in verse 13, to rejoice in suffering when it's for righteousness' sake. In other words, when this difficulty comes on us, it's not supposed to send us into a time of sulking. It's to send us into a time of rejoicing because in it we have eyes to see the hand of God at work refining and building and doing amazing things. You ever wonder why Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear? And by the way, when Jesus says that, it's not a question. It's not in any way suggestion. It is in the imperative voice. Jesus is commanding, if you have eyes... You need to see. And in this difficult time, we need to see the Lord and we need to see His glory and recognize He's working to show us more of Himself so that we can rejoice in Him. All decent evangelism and reaching a city must not come out of obligation but out of joy in what we've seen so that when we speak to people, we say, you need to see what I've seen right and it's out of that heart of joy that great evangelism happens in the middle of this chaos we don't want to waste it we want to see the Lord and take delight in him number four we see also in verse 13 the end of the suffering is to reveal the glory of Jesus God's great end is always his praise his fame his glory and it's in these times in history when Christian worship is tested as to whether or not it's real Our surface level. Is our delight in God real? Number five, verse 15. We need to make sure any suffering is not due to our sin. But let no one of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or a meddler. He's not equating meddling with murdering. He's simply saying that If you've sinned and you're suffering, God's being gracious to you to discipline you. Hebrews chapter 12 is clear. God disciplines those he loves. So there there is a place, and we need to make a distinction here, that sometimes we may be receiving the discipline of God because we've done stuff we shouldn't do. And he's graciously using consequences to train us up and discipline us so that we will live in holiness and righteousness like he has made us able to do. So Peter wants them to make sure that they're suffering for righteousness sake. If they're suffering for sin, hey, repent of sin. But if you're suffering for righteousness sake, rejoice. And so we do need to understand here that we need to make sure that we're not suffering or going through difficulty because of sin so that we might repent. Here's the point. There's a place for self-examination in here. Is there anything that I have hid in the dark that Jesus is bringing out into the light. He's bringing it, kicking and screaming into the light through the difficulty. Number six, final observation we see in verse 17. It's the crux of the passage. God's judgment begins with his own people. Now listen up. I want you to look up and look at me. Hear this very carefully. Do not foolishly think God is out to get the leftists the communists, the Marxists, the abortionists before he deals with the complacent people who've passively allowed and advocated for things as spiritual pragmatists before robustly trusting God by being prophetic and taking God's side in the public square. He says explicitly, he begins with the house of God. How dare us listen carefully this may be offensive how dare us be okay with the lesser of two evils as any part of a Christian ethic we have a third option and it's the option of Micaiah in 2nd Chronicles chapter 18 and if you've never read 2nd Chronicles 18 I want to encourage you to go see a model of how a Christian ought to live before kings and those in authority where Micaiah is brought in as a prophet of the Lord and they're saying, hey, just go with what the crowd's doing. The crowd's saying what the king wants to hear and Micaiah goes in and he says what the king wants to hear and the dumb king who knows not the Lord even recognizes that's not normal for you, Micaiah, and he preaches the word of the Lord. Listen very carefully. How dare us? How dare us claim some evil as a part of a Christian ethic there is a third option that option is to stand on the mountain of God open his word and say thus says Yahweh of armies thus says Jesus Christ we must be people who recognize that God is shaking the tree of his people Jesus was clear in the Gospels when he told parables. In his church, there will be wheat and there will be weeds. And he will sort them out at the end. We must be careful to be wheat and not weeds. We must be careful to not incorporate into our ethic weedy logic and weedy theology. Jesus spoke about good fruit and bad fruit and you know the tree by the fruit it produces. Therefore, Peter says to these people who are scattered and by the way, under difficult circumstances to say the Lord is refining you, so make sure you understand that God is beginning with us. We don't want to waste a good pandemic. What's God saying to you? What's God saying to me? What's he saying to us? So what are we going to do with this? How are we going to make application to this to us from this passage? We've got four points of application then Some items to help us respond this morning. First application, 2 Corinthians 13 5. Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? We would be remiss. We'd stand before the Lord. And have to give account if we didn't ask this question. If I didn't ask this question to myself, hey, Jolly, examine yourself today. Are you really following Jesus? Like, is it just lip service? Are you a Christian in name only? Like, do you say the name, but deep down in here, you really don't delight in Christ? You really have Jesus as a means to your ends? You're using Jesus as an instrument to get somewhere else? Is that what you are, Jolly? That's how I have to evaluate myself. And we would be remiss. We would be absolutely failing if we didn't come together and say, if, if God's beginning with his people, if he's shaking the tree, if he's culling the wheat from the weeds, we must examine ourselves and say, Am I in the faith? Am I following Jesus? Have I believed? Is my life wrapped around the kingdom of God? Do my actions match my words? Or am I just a cultural Christian? Am I a nominal Christian? It's in these times in history that we must examine ourselves. Don't waste this pandemic. Number two, application. Do we hold any tradition as a Bible truth while ignoring actual Bible truths? One of the things Jesus said to one of these groups that he's addressing these pharisees jesus said to them in matthew chapter 15 you have a fine way of nullifying the commandment of god for the sake of your tradition you say any money i would have given to god or any money i would have used to support my parents as the law commands you to honor your father and your mother you give it to god as an offering that sounds real spiritual right that sounds good i'm giving the money to god Jesus said, I commanded you first before I commanded the tithe. I commanded you to take care of your father and your mother. And what you've done is you've nullified the commandment of God for the sake of a tradition that you've put my name on. And Jesus would say to them, you nullify my truth in a truth you've created that is no truth at all and you've made it look spiritual. Is there anything, is there any tradition, is there anything we hold as a truth when in fact it is opposite of what God has actually said? Times of testing begin to reveal those little idols down in our hearts. Those little places we don't talk about in public, those little things we value above God that we hold down in our hearts. Is there anything there that the Lord is saying to us that must be rooted out? Are we sulking over perceived losses of unnecessary things or are we rejoicing in the glory of God as He moves to advance His rule? Third application of this passage to help prepare us for Matthew 23. Listen, Matthew 23 is tough. Matthew 23 is a challenge. Third application, it's Luke 13, 1-3. Am I blame shifting or dodging real issues because they're uncomfortable or I'm delighting in sin disguised as freedom when i in actuality indulging in the flesh and what I need to do is repent. Is there anything that I'm doing to shift the blame off of my personal responsibility? In Luke 13, 1-3, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So Pilate has killed some believers and their blood has been mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. And they come to Jesus and ask him about this circumstance. And Jesus says, do you think they're worse sinners because they died like that? And they ask him another question. What about those 18 that that tower fell on, Jesus? Jesus said, do you think they were worse sinners? Jesus' response to them, don't pass the buck. Don't shift the issue. How did he say it to them? Unless you repent, you are also going to perish. Is there anything, Mitchell Jolly, that you're shifting the blame on? and covering up in your own heart because it's uncomfortable and you're delighting in sin and yet you call it your freedom when the fact of the matter is I just need to repent of my sin what I've done is taken this little idol down in my heart and I put a little Christian t-shirt on it and called it Jesus and what he's saying to me is you need to root that out you need to put that aside and you need to come follow me because remember what it Peter say this is beginning with the household of God therefore the key question is what's he saying to me what's he doing in me what's he doing in you what's he doing in us together number four is my private prayer and worship up to par with my public display that God's glory is my great end and my great delight and my great joy is my private worship my private prayer is it up to par with my public display that says Jesus is my great delight and my great joy you see Jesus was clear about this Matthew chapter 6 he taught us how to be spiritual and he said it starts with what happens when nobody's looking Because if my public display doesn't match the private display, Jesus said, you've received your reward. People think you're spiritual. So he taught them, here's what you do. You go into the closet. You go where nobody can see you, where it's dark outside. Nobody's up yet. And you meet with me. And Jesus said, the God who sees what's done in secret will reward you openly. So one of the things he's saying to me is, is your private worship, does it match what it looks like on the outside because you see if all of our worship if all it is is coming on Sunday or going on Wednesday or, do, or going to small group if that's all that we are Jesus said your reward is simply people think you're committed that's it and if we want to see people come to faith in Jesus in our city what are we winning them to something that's veneer only Something that's just fake, something that's just outside, nothing that really addresses the inner dark parts of my heart. Peter says, No, man, God's beginning with his own household. He's shaking the tree and seeing what's sticking, what's real fruit, what is wheat. I'm going to say this. I didn't say this in the first service, and this isn't in the notes. And I may say more as we lead up in the next few months. But I do not want any of us, if we're really following Jesus, to ever become political pawns in which we deny things that are clearly, explicitly written in the text of Scripture. The Bible is clear on a Christian ethic. And we are not first Americans. We are first, if we're in Christ, citizens of the kingdom of God, followers of Jesus Christ, a multi-ethnic body that cares about salvation and righteousness and justice and unity in Christ. And there is place for that in the church. There should be. And therefore, what are we winning people to? Right? Because Jesus is going to address this in Matthew 23. He's going to flat out say to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you travel over land and sea to make a single convert. And when you do, you make them twice the son of hell that you are. That is a hard statement. You're evangelistic and you're missions minded. And when you win one, you help them go to hell with you. He says that. So the question for us, if we're doing evangelism in our city, what are we winning them to? Peter says he's starting with us, so we don't want to waste a good pandemic. What's Jesus saying to you? What's he revealing in you? What's he revealing in me? What's he revealing in us together? So how do we respond this morning? Number one, take a moment and address the Holy Spirit who's already speaking to you right now. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will do this work. He'll convince us about sin and righteousness and judgment. He was sent to do that as part of his ministry. He's already at work. So I want you to take a moment and address the Holy Spirit. Listen to him. You may feel his work or hear his voice in some manner, whether it be conviction, convincing you about something else, maybe revealing of sin, maybe moving you to action. You listen. Number two, take heed. If you need to repent obey and obey now we've taught knowledge for so long and we failed to address obedience the Bible is clear that obedience is part of following Jesus if the Holy Spirit is clear with you right now do not wait you obey right now I know it's weird for us the only eyes that matter right now are the Lord's third If you've not believed the good news of the kingdom of Jesus' reign and his salvation, today is that day. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead. And Paul said in Romans 10, if you do that, you will be saved. Tell somebody to worship him that he has rescued you from darkness and put you in the light, that you were dead and you are now alive. And finally, worship in unity together the risen Christ like it matters. if jesus is alive and he is like listen can he's alive like this isn't a game this is no game this isn't we're not playing tiddlywinks jesus is alive the risen christ reigns today and he has made a church for himself and he's given it a message to preach that will take people and save them and bring them into that church that is real and it is full of hope and life. And Jesus cried out to them, I was waiting to gather you and you liked death. Listen, today he is saying to us, come to me, come to me. There's life here. There's life here. Because this is legit, this is real. So three of us, I say to us, if we believe the good news, let's make sure we're following in obedience and let's be a worshiping people who worships the Lord like it really Matters because it does. Jesus is alive and He's called us into His kingdom to obey Him. Let's pray and we're going to practice that in worship. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you will help us this morning to make much of you with our mouths. That as we come to sing and worship this morning, you would be exalted, you would be lifted high. But even more so, I pray that you will cause us to be obedient today and tomorrow and the rest of this week. That we would hear you clearly and we would obey quickly. Lord Jesus, call us forward into the light and into life. And In this moment, be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name.